Okay, it looks like we're all here. I am indeed off the mute button. And I'll start things off by thanking everybody for joining early and uh, joining us for our conversation with Alex Norsha today. Um, and uh, for those of you who are new here, listening to this on the replay and haven't ever heard of Kassab before, we are the Consumer Advocates for Smoke-Free Alternatives Association. We're a small grassroots nonprofit uh, dedicated to promoting smoke-free alternatives to things like cigarettes. You can check out our website at casaa.org. Opportunities to get engaged with lawmakers, rule makers, and the such. Um, and uh, all the information that you and your friends and your loved ones might want or need about tobacco harm reduction and how it can reduce the early death and disease attributed to smoking. Um, so with that, we'll do all the social media stuff when we get back. Um, uh, we have the honor of having Alex Norsha back on a CASA media channel. Um, uh, you might want to check out an earlier podcast we, we did with, with Alex on our podcasts. And you can check all those out on YouTube, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, etc. Um, but today we want to talk about Alex's most recent article in Filter uh, about some of the, uh, the spoils of a FOIA request to FDA. Um, so without further ado, Alex, uh, welcome. Uh, and I know that you can probably give a much better introduction uh, than what I've done for folks who have never met you or read any of your work. Um, but uh, if you could, a brief introduction, and uh, then we'll get right into talking about the article. Sure. What's up? You can hear me okay, yeah, I imagine? Yeah, can hear you. Um, all right, fantastic. Um, yeah, so in terms of a biographical introduction, I suppose, I am a reporter slash editor at Filter, um, where I mainly cover the tobacco and vape industries, which I've been doing, I guess, for, I don't know, four years at this point. God help you. Thank you for your sacrifice and continued attention to all of this. Um, so uh, the, the article uh, we're, we're talking about today, uh, of course, the FDA's early plan to expedite open system vape marketing applications. Um, and uh, I guess probably the best way to do this for those who haven't read the article, which you should absolutely go and read the article, um, maybe set the table for us and, and give us kind of a summary of what you got back from your FOIA requests and, and what kind of new, you've also covered this, you know, the kind of the um, uh, the mess that is the PMTA process uh, earlier this year. Uh, what more does this add to your reporting? Yeah, for sure. Um, I would recommend reading the article uh, mainly because it's much easier to read, I think, than what I'm about to describe. But I mean, I guess in terms of the reporting, it all it almost worked in reverse, right? So the fatal flaw memo came out around the time, I think, when Triton had sued the FDA. And then I sort of worked backwards because there were um, references and footnotes to earlier memos. So from there, I got uh, what I think they called the PMTA prioritization plan. And in that one, there were also footnotes. So that led me to this open system plan, um, which is what I just published. Um, and that basically describes what the FDA refers to as a bundling and bracketing approach to looking at applicants that specifically filed 
a lot of uh, products, a lot of flavors. So, I mean, in, in summary, um, they basically looked for a maximum of 24. They call them characterizing flavors and then sort of bracketed them out from there um, and would judge them basically on uh, the PGVG ratio, the highest and lowest, and then also the highest and lowest um, nicotine levels, meaning if um, they denied the highest one and they denied the lowest one, I guess logic follows that they then deny all the medium ones, the, the ones in the middle. I, hearing you describe it like that, it, it makes it sound even less scientific than, uh, you know, I, I guess sort of this is. I mean, the, you know, the problem, one of the things that uh, Kassaw pointed out and, and others in this space pointed out early on back in 2016 was that FDA was just not and, and potentially never going to be in a position to handle the the tsunami of applications that, that we ended up seeing i think i think we even ended up seeing more than than some of us had imagined um and so you know it seems like fda's sort of explanation for all of this is that we needed to find some efficient way of uh sifting through all of the applications approving or denying them but that doesn't really i I mean I, i would have loved to seen some open system products get through authorization but even then it seems like fda's kind of abandoned actually doing any kind of real scientific review on these products is that is that kind of the gist that you get from this process they've come up with i mean i'll I'll say two things one it's it's still unclear to me if this is the process they're currently using because obviously there's still some pending applications i would assume that's the case because obviously not everything fell under the sort of fatal flaw standard and then secondly um it did the the way I sort of read it, it. There was a shred of optimism in it. I mean, maybe it's a little overblown, but I mean, they did seem like they were at least saying they were willing to uh, potentially authorize some open systems. And um, saying all that, I also think it's obviously a better strategy than what they ended up mainly adopting, which is the fatal flaw standard. And so, yeah, that was, um, I, I'm, I'm probably going to end up getting myself confused here, but um, I, I think between this recent article and the one that you had written, was it back in May? Um, uh, the, the, the sense that we've all got, and, and, um, I, and I know that uh, you know, industry folks have, have seen this you know, happen right before their eyes, was that uh, it, it seemed like things were on track uh, and then Janet Woodcock got pulled in front of uh, a committee in in, in Congress and uh, got a pretty severe tongue lashing. Um, and, and then things all of a sudden changed. Is there kind of anything in what you've uh, received from your FOIA request or, you know, through your investigation that that sort of confirms that? I mean, other than what we saw, um, is there anything that that shows that this actually was a reaction to to being hauled in front of congress i mean i think at this point that's the million dollar question i mean i've obviously heard that from virtually everybody in the space and the industry um but i've not been able to it's not like janet woodcock or anybody told me that's what's happening i mean it seems heavily implied but i've been trying to confirm it for a a very long time i mean i guess what i could say is that there clearly was a uh, plan and then 
Uh, obviously, I mean, I think nine months maybe went by. I mean, the sort of deadline for them to respond to these applications is approaching. Um, and they took a different strategy, obviously not long after she was um, lambasted by um, members of Congress. So the, the short answer to the question is, I don't know, but um, it's definitely not an unlikely scenario. Yeah. So um, I, I know we got we've got Matt Cully on here, too, and um, uh, and Jim McDonald. So before I move on, I want to give them an opportunity to, to jump in and, and maybe take the conversation along here a little bit. Um, hey, it's Jim. Nice to talk to you again, Alex. Hey, Jim, what's up? <clears throat> so I, I guess my question about this um, this uh, bundling and bracketing approach is, aside from the um, the comment by the author um, that this would be a way of both denying and approving larger numbers of products or large numbers of products, um, is there any indication in any of this that they would have approved products and flavors other than tobacco? Not from this document. No, I mean, admittedly, I'm trying to get more to sort of obviously piece the larger yeah. story together, but I figured I just, when I get them, I mean, there's a, honestly, there's a sort of, I can only embargo them for 30 days. So there's a sort of rush to get them out um, because then it's just public record. And anybody can find it. I mean, not that I'm going to get, I'm afraid of getting massively scooped on the uh, PMTA right. process, but uh, 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 I sort of just drill them out when I, when I get them. That being said, I'm trying to work on a larger story that sort of just paints What's occurring? I mean, no, no one's outright said that they would authorize flavors, um, but that's that to me is the closest thing I've read where they seemed, um, I don't know if optimistic's the right word, willing to do it, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, we got to remember that a lot of the companies that got MDOs for their flavored products still have tobacco flavored products in review. Right. So there's lots of open system products still in review that um, <laughs> also may not get authorized. I mean, nobody has any idea. Um, there's a, a pretty good um, basis for believing the FDA won't approve bottled e-liquids at all. Do we, do we have any idea how many open system flavored products are even left in review. I know like for a while there, we were kind of keeping track of it. And then no one's really talked about it for a while. I mean, Jim or Alex or, or anyone else, do you guys have any idea? I honestly don't know. Jim might have a better idea. No, I mean, I never knew of a number anyway. Um, so there's some products that have been, had their MDOs rescinded or, And a phone call comes through. Um, so some of them have been rescinded and some of them um, are um, being appealed. But I mean, I don't know, you know, until aside from those products, I don't know how many flavored products there were still in review. Yeah, and I know we, we never like had like a perfect number, but for a while there, it seems like we were kind of tracking the bigger companies, but it seems like just about all of them have been MDO'd at this point. So it'd be interesting to see what's what's even left. Yeah, well, I don't think anybody's going to tell us. Yeah. 
Well, you, you know, and since you kind of brought up the the fact that there's still some tobacco flavors in review, I, I just just a note. I don't know if there's a question in here. Hopefully, some conversation. But um, you know, the 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 criteria that I, I think it was in this article or or it was the previous one, um, looking at yeah, it was this one. Um, uh, or no, it was your previous article back in May in 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 sort of developing this fatal flaw standard the, the 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 one of the criteria was you know it can't be arbitrary and capricious we've got to demonstrate that we actually looked at things and so you know knowing that there are tons of manufacturers out there who uh took fda at their word that they wouldn't be required to produce longitudinal studies or randomized control trials i'm assuming that they submitted applications for tobacco flavors without these studies and yet they may still be in review um and so through this whole process, it seems that, you know, the Office of Science or, or the, the entire CTP have kind of shot themselves in the foot and, and, and put it out there that, yeah, this, this whole process is arbitrary. It's, it's based on whether or not it's a flavor we're comfortable with or, or something we've decided is, is strictly for kids. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's obvious at this point that there's clearly a different, whether it's implied or not, standard for tobacco flavored products, and I think literally every other flavor, right? Yeah, that's 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 the way it, it seems. It's way it appears to us as well. Um, I guess so. Uh, on a maybe a more technical question. Um, for those who are not familiar with this concept of bridging, which was, uh, you've noted, uh, and I know the industry has talked about this a lot, um, I, just to kind of uh, divulge my own confusion over kind of what we had heard years ago about FDA allowing for this, um, this idea that, uh, you know, perhaps I, I have it in my head that this is what it is, that manufacturers may be able to kind of talk to each other and uh, or if you have a product that gains authorization and it has a similar uh, uh, recipe or, or chemical composition as what you're proposing, you would be able to, you know, instead of going out and paying for all of that science yourself, you would be able to kind of connect with or bridge to what has already been submitted or authorized and just sort of reference that. I, I that that was one way I kind of understood it. But, you know, reading this, uh, the, the flavor wheel and, and uh, you know, kind of working within an application, is that bridging limited to within the, the kind of collection of, of products that a, 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 a manufacturer is submitting? Or is it more that FDA would be able to say, oh, this is this is like this other product you know, we've seen this description, we've seen this research in other applications. And so we can bridge that to, you know, another manufacturer's application. Am I just completely confused about all of this or? or no, I, I, I think, again, this is just my opinion. Um, I think you needed something to bridge from. So like, <clears throat> if you're a, I don't know, a massive company, say like Enjoy, right? I'm using them as an example. I think they likely ran these studies, right? And then they were like, we ran what one randomized control trial, or whatever, and then this also applies to the other sort of products we have, right? But it doesn't seem the case to me that, like, if you were one company and another company did this study, that you could bridge sort of from company to company. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, that does. I, that I, that seems to make more sense to me than than what was rattling around in my head. Sure. Um, <laughs> thanks for cleaning. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what's I think what's evident at this point is that you really needed something to like bridge from, like something extensive, like an extensive scientific study that would apply to like your sort of nest of products, and it wouldn't necessarily apply to just because this vape acts this way, or we found this data, or we found this toxicology. Um, that could then be applied to a, a totally different device or unrelated flavor. Is that track? I think so. Yes. I, so, you know, I, I, I suffer from not having that, that inside view that, uh, uh, some of our, our listeners uh, who are actually submitting applications do. Um, so any, any bit of help I can get to clear that up, I very much appreciate it. I have a related question. Um, if you were, if FDA was bridging um, information from uh, one group of um, e-liquids made by a certain manufacturer to another group of e-liquids made by uh, that same manufacturer, doesn't that kind of invalidate FDA's um, uh, assertion that every product needs to have its own individual studies and I, how can they generalize information from one flavor to another when the flavors themselves change the the tax profile and so forth? Again, I don't, um, I'm working on figuring that sort of part out, but I think from what I could gather, um, it might be even more finite than that, right? So it's like, it might not necessarily run one study and then you're able to apply it to menthol, for example. I, I just don't know how the bridging necessarily works but i don't think it can it can be a very long bridge if that yeah makes sense right so it's like it might be you know if you have i don't know just three tobacco flavors of varying nicotine levels or whatever like there maybe is a bridge menthol. between them right but like a menthol that's a different story you need a menthol bridge i mean I'm, again i'm sort of that's, this is that's con conjecture but i think that's probably true that well, is isn't the problem also that like just they the fda has been really vague and sat on the fence on this one to where you know, you have certain industry groups that a few years ago did think because of what the FDA was signaling. And I think even said in some of their meetings that they could, you know, you know, all group together and kind of package like various, you know, similar flavors together into one study. Um, but now, you know, it sounds more like it's just, you know, one company bridges off of off of a previous product but it's just it's it's like they've never really give given concrete answers on their their bridging well, yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's the biggest problem. I mean, among them, you need a sort of PhD to figure out what they're even ever talking about, right? Um, um, yeah, I mean, it's just I think I mean that's the that's the massive issue, right? I mean, it was just confusing from the onset. It's it's all confusing, and the the language they use in their in their memos is is so bizarre too. It's. It, I mean, who is who is supposed to understand that? I guess just other FDA employees. I mean, it, it, it's from what I can gather too. I mean, it's written like a a, a sort of drug authorization, right? I mean, and this strategy yeah. to use for other things, right? So, I mean, it, it it reads like they're authorizing drugs, right? I mean, not whatever you want to call them, recreational products, right? Right. Now, let's remember when they when they deal with drugs, those are actually approved, not authorized. Right. Because they're safe and effective. It's always seemed like to me, and this is based off of pure conjecture and not any hard data. It's just a theory that I have. 
But I've always kind of wondered if, you know, FDA, even with, I feel like this probably happens a bit in the pharmaceutical arena, but especially with vaping, FDA sort of writes these guidelines, but they don't entirely know, you know, they're not experts about the product, even though we would think that they should be, it doesn't seem like they are. Um, And it feels to me like they sort of rely on the actual companies or industry to sort of make sense of it for them. Does that make sense? Like they sort of put something out and they're like, yeah, we think we kind of want this. And then pharma would come in and go, oh, okay, we can do it precisely like this. This is what you wanted, right? And then FDA can go, oh, yes, precisely. That is what we had in mind. Like it always, it feels like they're most comfortable working with, you know, really large corporations uh, that can kind of almost write part of this themselves based on, you know, some suggestion from FDA. Again, that's my feeling, but it kind of tracks if you think about it. Another another thing I'll just add is I, I, I pose this question to people and I've not really gotten an answer, but I mean, obviously the deadline was uh, moved up so many times because, um, you know, certain public health organizations or whatever you want to call them sued the agency, right? So, I mean, I, I am curious if they would have approached all of this differently had they not been in a seeming uh, massive pressurized rush. I think they would have created their own rush at the end, no matter how long they had. You know what I mean? If they had an extra two years, I don't think it would have been better. Yeah, it's tough to say because, I mean, they definitely needed some political cover as well and they didn't have it. So, I mean, I, I, you know, I think it, they just go with the wind, basically. And, uh, and and you know, at the time of deadline, it, uh, there were people still freaking out about E-Valley and, and, and flavors and kids. Yeah. But on uh, Danielle's point, I mean, I do remember, like, years ago, there have been, been multiple times where FDA has invited vape companies and trade organizations and whatnot to kind of, like, you know, even, you know, give them suggestions on how they thought, you know, the process should work. Now, obviously, FDA didn't take any of that into account. But I do remember them being open to that, like with it almost, I remember some people saying it seemed like FDA wanted us to, to kind of create the path for for them, because they did, they weren't sure. So I, I think that 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 notion that, that Danielle has definitely checks out. Yeah, speaking of, um, you know, folks that you've been talking to, I, I, the, one of the quotes that sort of keeps jumping out at me, uh, no matter who is covering this, uh, is speaking to people at FDA who don't, who want to remain anonymous. I'm sure for professional reasons, that's fine. But uh, at least the reason given in, in this article to you was because this person was worried about their future in tobacco control. Um, that being the case, I mean, do you think that, that you're getting honest and, and candid answers from folks at CTP when you, when you poke around? Um, yeah, I do. I mean, you know, it's, it's sort of hard to, I can't, I can't say who some of these people are obviously, but I think, you know, a lot of them had work there and don't work there anymore those people tend to be easier um to get to speak even if it's anonymously um but yeah i don't think i don't think anybody's lying uh to me otherwise there's almost no re- there's almost no reason to talk to me otherwise right i mean um 
I do get this sense. I mean, and it's, I think it's obvious that people are frustrated with, say, the bureaucracy um, and kind of what's unfolded. I mean, I don't know how much certain people could have done to have alleviated that pressure, but yeah. Is there any sort of like, is there any like NDA or anything like that that they have to sign when they leave? Like, for example, like, does Holt, Matt Holman have to be muzzled for like five years before he speaks on this or like, he's got, he's know? got, he's got certain, I don't remember what they are at the top of my head, but he has certain like ethics restrictions. Right. So, I mean, he can't be involved in uh, product decisions that, you know, like he had, um, he had handled while he was at the agency. I don't think he can directly engage the agency for a certain amount of time. I mean, it's not that long. It's like a, it's a couple years if it's even, um, that long but i don't know what if anything he had to sign on his way out the door for example i don't think government agencies have ndas per se you know i don't think they can muzzle people in private communication or in um in that i mean yeah and i mean he's he's clearly talking to um reporters i'll say that much um yeah, I mean, he obviously doesn't want to, like, blow the FDA up, especially when the company he's working for is going to have to deal with them in the future. 100%, uh, but, yeah. But, uh, you know, it would, I would, obviously, he's the one guy where you would love to hear his, you know, opinion on these various changes and the memos and everything. I do think, I mean, personally, I do think he'll end up speaking more than he ever had, obviously, but um, he's still going to be you know, under the sort of umbrella of PMI, right? It's not just going to be like some citizen um, going out there. Um, but I am optimistic he'll say more positive things. I mean, that's not necessarily going to be great for small businesses, but I think he'll be maybe a little more vocal about the continuum of risk, say. Yeah, I mean, that would it would still be a benefit to small businesses to have somebody leaving the FDA and speaking, you know, from a THR uh, centric uh, point of view. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, I guess, high profile people leaving organizations. um, uh, I think it was last week. uh, I know ABM tweeted it out. Uh, I don't know how far and wide the the public information is, but uh, yet another high ranking person at the truth initiative has uh decided to leave um have you been able to to follow up with uh with this person or 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 get them to talk to you about about what their plans are and and why they would be leaving truth initiative uh no but i've thought about it and then i've heard um i don't want to start throwing rumors around but i it might not necessarily be because um he sort of had a moral stance uh, i'm trying to figure it out yeah gotcha yeah so um what uh i, I don't know that is there any kind of preview you can can give us as to where the the, the threads you're pulling and the footnotes here are, are going what what uh what what can we look forward to next well, I, yeah, I mean, I think mainly at this point, I want to put together something that um, sort of, I mean, we sort of called a TikTok, right? A sort of chronology of what happened. I mean, I'm most curious in 
if they had a, a different plan in the beginning, which it does seem to be, at least they had a different approach, um, and then why it was blown up, um, whether it was Woodcock, whether it was some um, other reason, just sort of piecing it all together in this in the sense that it's, I guess, sort of comprehensive. Because right now it's all, they're all, I, I have these articles, but they're all sort of, you know, stray parts at the moment. Yeah, I don't know that anyone here can answer it, but I do wonder just as a point of like commentary, if any of the documents that you're able to, you know, have made public through these FOIA requests would be at all helpful to any of the companies, you know, currently in litigation with FDA or undergoing appeals or anything like that. Like, I wonder if any of this sort of stuff um, or if it, you know, if you ever think about that, if this would be able to, you know, help or not any of these um, appeals and stuff. Yeah, I'm really not. I'm really not sure. I mean, I obviously um, I, I make them public myself so anybody can use them as they will. I mean, I saw Eric uh, hire one of the lawyers representing a lot of these people sort of complaining that it wasn't in the administrative record. I mean, I don't know how helpful that can uh, necessarily be. I mean, in part because it's sort of convoluted appeals laws and I don't fully understand it. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping it helps out in some capacity i mean another obvious perhaps obvious threat of all this is these FOIAs take forever right so i mean i think i filed that one probably four months ago um and then one day you just wake up and they're just in you know it's just in your your email and you don't even know what it's going to to be i mean it could be like redacted to hell right this one just happened not to be what are your thoughts on like where other reporters are at like what do you think uh um, you know, it seems like, you know, we had Mark Gunther on a few a few weeks ago. He seemed fairly optimistic about reporters starting to, to you know, as optimistic as Mark Gunther can be, uh, you know, to like, they're more open to like, I think the jewel thing changed it a little bit is what I was, I guess is what I'm thinking. I think that's, I think that's exactly. And, and so like, do you think that that's just kind of perked up ears and like, you know, it kind of made it more real for some of these reporters and now they're actually willing to dig or is it just kind of like another, we've had this in the past where like all of a sudden you get, some, you were part of it, you know, like yes. back at like 2018, 2019, you started to see a few reporters say like, wait a second, you know, let's dig deeper into this. And then, and then, you know, we kind of got our hopes up, but then that, you know, uh, COVID hit and then we didn't see anything about vaping and now we're starting to see reporters touching it again. I mean, yeah, it's hard. It's hard for me to it's hard for me to say. I mean, in part, I mean, I guess I'm lucky in the sense that, like, I do work for a relatively niche publication. Right. Like I'm able to. You know, it's hard to imagine The New York Times writing some long thing about, you know, the open system memo, for example. Right. Um, so I have that going for me. Um, but generally speaking, yeah, I mean, I think I think the jewel thing sort of took people aback, whether or not they were the media or members of the media were complicit in sort of their downfall to begin with is, I mean, say what you will. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It just seems like, I mean, tonally, it just seems like it's not um, as big of a deal anymore. Even this disposable stuff, I don't know like what it is, but I, it just seems like people aren't freaking out as much as they used to, but maybe I'm just imagining that. It's hard to maintain a moral panic. Yeah, I mean, I think people get desensitized and just like with other substances in the past, it's like anytime there's something new, there's all this fear and panic. 
And that, but I mean, it can last for decades, as we saw with with marijuana and and, and other things. But um, it does seem like people just don't care as much. They're not as outraged and freaked out about it. There's bigger fish to fry, you know, type of thing. And when we are seeing vaping articles, not all, but it, I've definitely noticed more balanced vaping articles uh, over the last few months. Yeah, and I think it helps too. I mean. It's hard for it's hard for me to even remember, but like I don't know, take take somebody like Cliff Douglas, right? I mean, I don't think he was saying the sort of things he's saying now, three or four years ago, right? I mean, it seems like this contingent, um, the contingent I'm describing is obviously like you know scholars and scientists and academic types um, who are willing to go out on a limb and sort of critique. I mean, the, the lunacy that's going on, right? Um, and I think. I mean, that can only help, obviously, right? Yeah, for sure. And what a lot of vaping advocates have said for years is like, you know, you need, you almost need shit to get really, really bad for people to care. Sure, and yeah. You, you need people, you know, maybe a couple viral videos where somebody's getting arrested or something crazy like a, like a jewel ban, which is, it's so funny because it's like mainstream media, you know, has been reporting that various, uh, uh, politicians and health groups have been calling for a jewel ban for years but then all of a sudden when it happened <laughs> they acted shocked by it you know yeah i mean then the other thing is no one knows what the hell's going on right like i mean you just start to explain this to somebody you know even friends of mine who use jewel for example and then it's like wait why is it banned and then you're like okay well then you have to explain this the whole pmta process and then a week later it's reversed okay can i buy them now um what does it mean? Why was it denied initially? You don't know why it was really denied initially. Um, what's going to happen now? You don't really know. It's in the FDA sort of not transparent bureaucracy. Okay, what happens next? How long does that take? And like no one. And then by the time another decision comes around, everyone's forgotten it was banned to begin with. Yeah, I've seen so many bad takes um, just from ordinary people on social media about the jewel ban. You've got a lot of you know half the people are saying, "Well, why are they banning jewel and nothing else?" you know you gotta say yeah, they've no idea you no know, they've already banned 99 percent of everything but uh well as a consumer though i mean think how confusing that is like jewel is you know they hear you know all these uh headlines about jewel being banned but then they walk into the bodega and see like a cotton candy disposable or something so it's right. like they they you know the it's it's confusing enough for people like us but I mean, think of how it is for your average consumer trying to even wrap their head around how the FDA even works when it comes to to a product like this. And I don't think nicotine users, certainly smokers, but vapors. I mean, we know a lot of vapors who are involved, but most vapors are not. They don't pay attention to this stuff. When I smoked, I didn't know anything about what was going on with, you know, people fighting against the tobacco companies and, you know, all the stuff in the eighties and nineties. I didn't know anything about that. I, I knew taxes went up when the price of cigarettes went up by a dollar, but um, I don't think most people who use the substance care about any of this stuff and they shouldn't have to, frankly. Yeah. I mean, and it's just endlessly confusing. I mean, even with, and with lowering the nicotine levels in cigarettes, for example, right? You know, the number of texts I got where it's like, we can't smoke anymore. And it's like, this is going to take, this is going to take a decade, right? And like, it might not even yeah. go into effect, right? But it's like, it's like a breaking news alert from the Washington Post or whatever. And it's like, it's not, and everyone's going to forget about it again. And then, you know, in, in, in five years, there might be a little bit of movement, but it, it's, a, it's a whole like, 
you know, it's such a convoluted space with so many different stakeholders um, that I think you really have to be following it pretty closely to have any sort of you know, semblance of what the hell's going on. For sure. And I, I've, I've tried to explain this to some friends and it's just, they have no clue what I'm saying. You know, it's like, well, technically the product you're using is illegal, but it's not illegal that for you to use it. It's just illegal for them to sell it. Oh yeah. Then why, you know, why aren't uh, cops rolling into these uh, sea stores and stuff? Well, because FDA, you know, in, has enforcement discretion and uh, they kind of pick and choose like they just, obviously most people, when they look at laws, it's kind of a black and white thing, but there's just yeah, so much so much gray when it comes to FDA that that uh, people are like, wait, this is how our country operates. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I've seen even a fundamental misunderstanding of how FDA regulates like foods, for example. I don't know if anybody saw this, but there was this controversy going on online where some influencer sold some sauce. I think it was called like pink sauce or something. And someone asked her, you know, on a live stream, like, oh, is your sauce, you know, FDA approved? And she looked at, you know, the camera and was like, FDA approved? No, of course not. Like, it's not for, a, you know, a medicinal treatment or anything. It's not therapeutic. And then the internet, you know, roasted her basically. Like, F, uh, the F in FDA was trending on Twitter because people were like, well, of course the FDA, you know, authorizes food and stuff. But it's like, I'm sorry, did, do you, are you under the impression that the FDA, like, inspects every frozen burrito or yogurt cup that exists in the world like do you of course you know food is under their purview but it's not actually you know it's not being every single item inspected or this is the honor system for a lot of the you know for dietary supplements for food even for a lot of cosmetics like people fundamentally do not understand how much of you know what the fda does outside of pharmaceuticals is actually just like they put rules out and then sort of hope that everyone follows them and then bring the hammer down if there's a problem. You know what I mean? And that's the way um, vaping and nicotine products are regulated in the EU or in most EU countries. In the UK, for example, the manufacturer notifies the government agency that a new product is coming out and then if there are problems with it, they're reported and the, and the agency can take action. I saw all this talk about the, you know, confusion over not just the, you know, vaping regulations, but what does FDA do in general? Um, I, I'm sort of curious, Alex, if you know, um, I don't know if, if any of us have ever followed anything like this review that, that Catliff has commissioned, but, um, you know, all this stuff that we're talking about and, and all the things that you're reporting on, um, how much does, does anyone think that this is going to factor into um, whatever conclusions like the, the, the Reagan Udall Foundation will come to in, in their review? Yeah, I mean, so you, I think you typically hear, I mean, I have typically heard two things, right? Um, the first group is basically like, um, you know, this is this is great. This is actual oversight. Um, I'm optimistic there'll be change. Um, this is like a legitimate thing. I mean, I'm curious to see who they end up choosing to sort of be on this committee, right? Um, and then the other group is basically like, this is a PR stunt. It's all bullshit. It's a complete waste of time. Nothing's gonna, yeah. nothing's gonna change. I'm in the group that thinks that Caliph wants the answer that 
the FDA is underfunded. That's what this is. I think that that's what the purpose of this is, is just to show, you know, uh, the country and uh, legislators, you know, hey, look, this third party group took a look at us. They said that we're underfunded. We can't. That's why we are having a hard time. We need more money. But And, I'll, and also, Nick Durbin yells at us too much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that Caliph wouldn't have asked for it if it was going to be critical of Caliph. Yeah, though he didn't. He did have to do something, I think. Um, yeah. I mean, he's been pretty, he's been hammered pretty hard about a lot of stuff. Um, I mean, I, I would think if you ask any average person's opinion of the FDA or even the CDC, I, I wouldn't think it'd be a good one. Yeah. No, well, and yeah. yeah, you know, this is the the issue of of the public trust of these agencies, which has been eroded so heavily over. I mean, it, I think it was, you know, even before we got into the pandemic, not not many people had a, a high opinion of these agencies. But um, it seems, you know, it, it, and this is not just it's not exclusive to tobacco. And I personally, I would think that would weigh heavily on anybody looking at the, you know, the scientific communication. Science comms is important and and. If the agency isn't able to do it um, properly, uh, I do imagine there's a dollar amount attached to that. But um, I, I figure that would maybe draw bring someone to the conclusion that that uh, there may need to be even some sort of cultural change at FDA. Yeah, I will say what they're I think they're the worst at is comms, just getting information out there that makes sense to a layman. Basically, I don't think they release any information until about 18 lawyers have vetted it. So everything they say looks like it's been, you know, carefully studied by legal minds um, before they dare put it out. Do you think, Alex, do you think that um, Caliph will select a, an Office of Science director for the CTP? who will be similar um, to the director of the CTP that he chose, Brian King? I don't know. That's tough to, that's tough to say. I mean, that's, I think people were as much as I think people gave, they're all upset about this process. There's also this like massive respect and for Holman. Right. I mean, in the same way that like Zeller left, everyone hated Zeller and then King comes in and it's like, well, okay, maybe Zeller wasn't, yeah. that bad after all um i don't yeah i don't know i mean i've not heard any um whispers of them uh replacing him yet um i imagine the process takes a long time but i'm, I'm very curious to see if it's um, well, who it, is. it might just be a scientist we've never heard of right i don't know they they have a public um you know job search thing out for it now so i saw that actually yeah I mean, you would think that they would just replace him with somebody from inside the office of. Science. I would, I would imagine that. So um, that would be if I, if I were a, a guessing man, that's what I would, I would guess. Yeah. But who would have thought that they'd bring in Brian King to be the director of the center? Yeah, that's a fair point. I didn't. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of Brian King, I, I don't know that we've seen. Certainly, we haven't heard a whole lot from him. I think I've only seen one announcement. I think that came out, was it in the past couple of weeks? Um, I honestly can't even remember what it was about. It sounded like the usual fare from uh, FDA, but um, 
you know, in, in people that you've talked to, uh, have you been able to discuss with them? What's it like working for the new CTP director? Are there sweeping changes coming through or is he uh, just trying to get his, uh, his sea legs? I don't. I think we lost Alex. Can you still hear us? Come back, Alex. Um, but at the same time, I think these people, I, I think these, I think their hands are so tied by the bureaucracy that like a single person can't just come in and like wreck train. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think we, we, you cut out there a little bit. I, I don't know if we, if we got. Oh, uh, I was, I, I was just saying, I think it's, it's easy to freak out, right? Because of King's past statements about a volleyer. Uh, whatever, but at the same time, um, I'm sort of under the impression that a single person can't really go in there and sort of, you know, do whatever they want and make sort of massive changes. Right. Probably the first or second guy could have done that, but by exactly, now it's such yeah. a, an entrenched bureaucracy that's yeah, double-edged sword of bureaucracy. Right. It can't change, but it can't change. Exactly. Right. So um, I, uh, I I seem to be at the end of my questions. Um, I, I don't know if uh, Matt or or Danielle or or, or Jim uh, kind of are able to pick up the ball here, um, but I feel like I've gone through my list, and I, I don't know, Alex, is there anything in particular that that maybe I we haven't discussed well enough on on what you've recently reported or or maybe some things uh from the past that that are more relevant now i don't know it's hard off the top of my head i mean if anybody's any other questions i'm happy to um answer them uh yeah i mean i'm curious i mean just in terms of things i'm focusing on i'm I'm curious to see what happens with you know disposables and synthetic nicotine i just read this reuters story about it for example um and then, yeah, I mean, obviously the remaining applications that are still, you know, quote unquote, pending. Am I remembering this correctly? But wasn't there some sort of deadline? I don't know if it was self-imposed by the FDA or not. Somewhere around June where they, you know, sort of stated that they'd have the rest of a decision on the rest of the PMTAs. Am I making that up or was that something? You're not, you're not, you're not, generally you're not making it up. I don't remember what the, the dates are, but they have to, they have to basically give reports to that judge in, in Maryland. They're like quarterly reports, I think. Um, so they have, they're progress reports, right? So at some point, I think it's soon-ish. It might be in September. Don't quote me on that. But they have to say like where, where they're at. I don't think, um, I don't think they're going to be, if I'm remembering correctly, I don't think they said they were going to be done until the following June. So like June, 2020. So, didn't they tell? Didn't they say like one company had not They weren't going to get an answer to like two thousand five or something. Wasn't that? A story? Yeah, that was that was a diff, that was that was from uh that was from one of the court cases. I mean, there's so many things going on. I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, yeah, that was from one of the appeals courts. I think um, that, uh, it was a report to that to that particular circuit court about the FDA's internal appeal. Yeah, but you are you are right about the twenty twenty five, Matt. It was some absurd date yeah. in the future. Yeah. 
Um, so to, to update a little on that report to Judge Grimm, that it was due on um, July 30th. Okay. And they, they submitted the status report on July 28th that just totally ignored what they had said before. What they had said before was that by the end of June, they would have 50% of the covered applications settled. And in the July 28th thing, they say, yep, we, we completed that. But they haven't taken any actions, to my knowledge, aside from the jewel ban, between the two reports. So what I've decided from this is that they're referring to things that they had already settled previously when they said they had 240 covered applications to deal with still, um, that must, they must've meant we had 240 applications to begin with, not still to go. I don't know. So anyway, they did report to the judge and the next report will be due, uh, July, August, September, October. October 26th. I'm honestly surprised that we haven't seen another lawsuit from, you know, campaign and truth and the whole, um, what does Alex call them? The funky bunch. Um, you know, all of them sort of pressuring again, just because this is obviously taken so long. So the, Matt, Matt Myers in the body parts. That's the I don't band. think they would need to file another lawsuit. They would just need to go to the judge on this existing one and ask him to modify his order to do whatever they want done. I just don't know how much more they could possibly get at this point. I mean, they, they've moved the deadline. They're getting progress reports. I mean, at the end of the day, the FDA either does what they say they're going to do or they need yeah. more time, obviously, right? I mean, it's out of these people's hands, no matter how much they want it to be in their hands. You know? And they got their jewel ban, even though it fell apart in a couple of days. Yeah, immediately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I, you know, I don't know how much more they think they can achieve through the courts, and 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 I, I, I at the risk of veering into um, conspiracy theory territory here, I, I'm sort of curious whether it makes sense to think along the lines of, uh, you know, if FDA makes a big enough mess of this, it sort of gives the uh, Matt Myers and the body parts groups a little bit more ammo at the state and local levels where we can see. Um, you know, actual law enforcement agents, you know, within those jurisdictions able to take action more forceful and immediate action than FDA. Um, So I, you know, I kind of have to wonder, you know, yeah, there is a certain level of um, confusion and even incompetence we would expect at a massive bureaucratic agency. Um, But, uh, you know, I'm left to wonder whether or not some of that is, is strategic. I told you it was going to be conspiracy theory territory. So I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) Um, So related to, uh, to Alex Clark's comment there, Alex, Alex Norcia, um, you could just replace that term public health groups with body parts groups. We'd appreciate that. Yeah. I'll see what I can. I guess that might, that one might be out of my hands, but I'll see what I can do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, happy to help. Um, <laughs> well, with that, um, I you know I don't know if um, 
if, if there's anything else, um, feel free to interrupt me here. Um, but uh, I know your time is precious, Alex, and I want to let you get back to your good work here. Um, and so uh, unless, unless there are any other burning questions or, or statements that need to be made, I'll start the wrap up here. All right, hearing none. Um, well, thanks again, everybody, for joining us today uh, on our, our Twitter chat with Alex Norsha. Uh, and if you haven't read the article already, definitely go and check it out as soon as my window is going to start scrolling here. Uh, the title, of course, is The FDA's Early Plan to Expedite Open System Vape Marketing Applications by Alex Norsha on filter dot, filtermag.org. Uh, and of course, follow all of Alex's reporting through Filter. Are you still uh, writing occasionally for uh, Vice or some other outlets? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'm still doing freelance stuff, though. Admittedly, it's not going to uh, it's not going to be even remotely about vaping because I, uh, <laughs> I uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I need a break every once in a while. But uh, yeah, I should have some other stuff out soon that's unrelated. But I'll uh, I'll just tweet it out as always. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Follow Alex on Twitter. Um, and uh, speaking of the, the Twitters and Instagrams, you can follow Kasa at Kasa Media on Twitter and Instagram. We also post all of these uh, Twitter spaces and our podcasts on our YouTube channel. It's just Kasa. Uh, and uh, we have a Spotify. We have a SoundCloud. Uh, and of course, for all of the other information that you need to know about CASA, about tobacco harm reduction, please visit CASAA.org. While you're there, uh, we do sell t-shirts and other merchy type items. So advocate in style, go pick yourself up a t-shirt. Um, it's not a massive fundraiser for us. We do get a little bit, but mostly it's about getting the message out there. Uh, and Danielle Jones put together some amazing designs for our for all of our swag uh and encourage everybody to uh go and visit our store uh and on all of those notes uh, a bit of a, a programming note uh we will not have a twitter space in two weeks uh i believe that's still august we're going to take the rest of august off and all of these casa media broadcasts and so on will come back starting i believe on september 10th if that date changes uh, certainly you're all following us on Twitter, so, uh, we'll, we'll put any notices up there. Um, so with that, everybody enjoy the rest of your summer. Thank you again, Alex, for joining us. I'm Thank sure you. we will, I'm sure we will have you back on probably soon, uh, to discuss more of your findings at FDA, uh, and, and other goings on at the people who want to keep us smoking. Um, and so, uh, with that, thanks to all the panelists, uh, Matt. Jim, Danielle, thanks board members for joining in and contributing to the conversation. And all of you, once again, thanks for joining and listening. And we'll see you back here in September. Bye-bye.